What is your definition of success? We'll catch ourselves on the hamster wheel to undefined success. We're just working away and hustling hard toward this idea of success that we never really sat down and defined in the first place. And perhaps it isn't success that should be defined. Maybe we should instead ask ourselves, what is enough? Welcome to the Motherhood Anthology podcast, photography education for a business you love. My name is Kim Box, and I'm your host with a collaboration and help of my co-hosts and business partners at the Motherhood Anthology, Jenny Kruger and Allison Craig. Today's episode is the first of a two-part series titled Defining Enough, featuring Shauna Skidmore. I have to tell you that I'm very excited about today's episode, and Shauna was at the very top of my list when we started this podcast. Shauna is also a podcaster over at Consider the Wildflowers, as well as a wildly successful finance consultant at her own self-titled firm. Shauna's business specializes in providing CFO services and financial education for creative business owners. Shauna's unique approach to the definition of financial and business success sets her apart from almost any other financial advisor out there. Previously a financial advisor for a Fortune 100 company and a controller at a private equity firm, Shauna takes money, metrics, and data and meshes it with psychology to provide a holistic approach to life and finances. So now I present to you part one of Defining Enough and episode number 32 of the Motherhood Anthology podcast. Hey, Shanna. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm so excited we're doing this beyond. Thank you for asking me. It's so kind. I am fangirling this morning because <laughs> I just kind of feel like you're a superstar. <laughs> um, well, I thank do. you. For our listeners that might not know who you are, you are the real deal. I mean, you have been around not quite as long as I have, but almost as long as I have. And so I'm very familiar with your story and your journey and you have lots of experience. So I'm just excited for everybody that might not know you at, at TMA or our listeners to uh, get to know you because I just think you're great. Well, thank you so much. I mean, <laughs> I'm beyond flattered. <laughs> and yes, I've been around the block. This is my 10th year in business and 15 plus years in finance. So yeah. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, just start by telling everybody about you and your family and your journey as an entrepreneur. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me on the show. This is so fun. My name is Shanna Skidmore, and I am a former Fortune 100 financial advisor, and I started my own consulting firm 10 years ago. So I had been working in finance, mostly in personal finance, but most of my clients were business owners for about five years. That's where I met my husband, Kyle. And then he we got married, and I said, if you could do anything you want to do, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to design and build airplanes. And I was like, okay, how do we do that? And he said, well, I will have to go back to school. Then we moved to Atlanta. And that's when I got into corporate finance. And so I started working for a private equity firm and I was paired with a startup fashion designer. And that is when all like the, the stars aligned and all of my skill sets and my passions came together. And I really saw I want to help more small business owners run the business side of their business. And when you think about the consulting world and you think about like the Shark Tank, the Deloitte, the big five, like 
those aren't companies that typically work with small business owners. So I saw this need in the market for someone to come in and talk about business fundamentals, but in a way that met the small business market. So I decided to start my own consulting firm. I had no idea what I was doing and the Lord just really blessed it and it grew really, really quickly. So here we are. 10 years later, my husband and I have been married for 13 years. We just had our sweet daughter, Madeline. She just turned two and she is the light of my life, clearly. And we've moved all over the country for my husband's job. And then a couple of years ago, when I was pregnant with Madeline, we just had a big conversation. It's it's funny, Kyle has helped me all along the way. He does all of our production and marketing work, but he was kind of like the unpaid weekend warrior. <laughs> right. And so we just had the conversation of like, we want to move back home to Tennessee, Dolly country and have this baby. And so he officially joined the business in 2021. So we we're doing this as a family biz and that takes us to today. How fun. So I think I first knew of you when you began because I was a wedding photographer. So I, I was a wedding photographer for a long time. And so I remember, so you actually kind of got your start in the wedding world with mm -hmm. floral design, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. I had worked with a fashion designer and I had been working with her for about a year. And I knew that I, there was a need for this type of work, but again, there was no charted path. I didn't know how to be a business consultant without going kind of the traditional MBA, big firm route. And I was shadowing some with some private equity people and like, yeah, you're going to be on the road Monday through Thursday, every single week, flying to clients all over the country. And I was like, I just, that's not the life that I want to have, but I didn't know how to start my own firm, but I knew I needed a shift. So I actually contacted Amy Osaba out of Atlanta. I had grown up in the garden with my grandmother and I was like, I just want to try floral design for a while. And so I contacted her and started shadowing her. And it's so funny after two weddings, I knew floral design was not my future, but she was my first kind of unofficial official client. And so she hired me to be her business consultant before I even really officially had a business. And I just have so much to thank to Amy. And I know she would say the same, like God put us together at the perfect time where I could help her and she helped me. So that's, I definitely got started. Um, in the wedding industry, because Amy at that time had such a big connection and people are like, what is going on in Amy's business? And she was so gracious to say Shanna Skidmore. And that's how I got started. So yeah, for sure. In the wedding industry. And I think that's, there's such a need, like you said, for what you do, because I think us creatives are kind of notorious for not being good with the numbers. And I think, you know, it takes both sides of the brain to really make a successful, sustainable business. And so the fact that that is your focus, I think is really good for all of us creatives that need your help. <laughs> I am really, I'm really excited to, to chat with you about defining enough. And the older I get, the more I think about that, because, you know, I love business and I, I've loved the hustle and I've loved watching businesses grow that that's a lot of fun. And then you start to like, you have children and your family, your children get older. And I guess um, I have a, a son that graduates, you know, in two weeks, I'll tear up if I talk about it too much, but <laughs> you know, you know, you start to realize that I can't, I can't keep this up forever. And 
I'm missing things in my life because I'm working so much. And I found um, your manifesto on yeah. your your website, and I just think it's so beautiful. So tell everybody what that says. Yeah. So my manifesto says, I think there's this beautiful place of enough where abundance and contentment meet. I can help you find it. So the story behind that is when I worked as a fortune 100 financial advisor, I had a mentor tell me that if you don't want to make more money, you are just lying to yourself. And for a long time, I believe that I lived under that idea and this whisper, I think of more is better, more money, more of everything, more, more equals abundance. And no matter, you know, over the last few years, I'm sure you've probably seen this too in your communities. There's been a shift where people have started talking about this idea of defining enough or defining success. What does that look like for you? But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. And I still think there's this underlying messaging of more is better. And what I realized is that for five years, I chased that. I wanted to run, walk across the stage and get the awards and wear the high heels and climb the ladder. But what I was sacrificing was going to the gym at three o'clock, which is something Kyle and I used to love to do. We would go to the gym together. We would have a picnic at the park. And over time, I just started realizing that if you let somebody else define what success means to you, they will, and you will chase after dreams that aren't actually yours. And so when I started my own business, I realized that I could define what success means to me and what is enough financially, because more is a moving target and it will continue to move. And so when it comes to defining enough, that is a number that we set for ourselves personally and professionally in the business. So we know exactly what we're chasing after, which gives me parameters for what I say yes to and what I say no to, because more will always be a target that we want to. And we have this lure, like lure towards chasing after like in business and as a natural achiever, it can become addictive to just keep working and keep going and keep pushing and I actually think that when you have parameters around your money, defining enough and around your time, you get way more strategic, creative, and effective. So I have built this philosophy and I teach it to all my students, define your number. It's this place where abundance and contentment meet. It's ambitious, but it also is restful and it really is, you know, and it's so funny for years, I didn't even tell people about my philosophy because I felt lazy. I felt like this idea of defining enough would mean I'm not ambitious enough. And I still honestly, in my gut, have that like, oh, don't tell people that you're, you know, let them see that you're lazy. But in reality, it's not laziness at all. It's boundaries. And um, it's become the philosophy I am the most well-known for and what my students and clients just resonate with the most. It, it caught on in a way I had no idea, but it resonates really deep into um, giving you rest from ambition and enjoyment in ambition. So that's how it came to be. Just to be honest, like I always had the secret goal that I wanted to make a million dollars. That was like a dream, not because I needed to be wealthy, but it was like, I want to prove that I can do this because, you know, I don't have, um, I mean, I have a degree, but I came from a little country high school. My dad did not have a high school diploma. You know, I was the first person to graduate from college. Like I was on a mission to prove people, you know, I had like a, 
you know, divorce is not nice. And I remember the last thing he said to me was that you're always going to need someone to take care of you. And I Mm. thought I'll show you. And so I had this goal that um, one day I'm going to make a million dollars. And so I spent a lot of years, like, like just waking up on this wheel that I never saw an end to like, you know, because when you're a photographer and you're, you know, in the wedding industry or the portrait industry, like if I'm not working, I'm not making money. How can I make more money when I don't have any more hours and I don't have any more energy And it just like, oh my goodness. So the older I get, the more I realize that, do we even know what we're working for? Like, I think it's just so ingrained in us to, especially if you're creative and you like to to hustle, to build something, it's like, but what's it for? Like, are we going to work till Mm -hmm. we're, you know, 65 years old and then go, well, what was all that about? Like, I know that in my life, I can look back. There is a need to hustle so that you can pay your living expenses. Like sure. You've got to get to that point for sure. (laughs) Right. But after that, tell us about, you know, like how do we define enough in our lives? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Kim, this is so good to unpack. (laughs) I hear this a lot from clients. They'll come to me and say, you know, I need to replace my corporate salary. And I think so much about money. That's why I think it's incredible. Kim, I don't know if you know this, but I have a finance degree and a psychology degree and an art degree. You know, it's I always say I felt like a misfit puzzle until it all came together. And it's like, wow, this makes so much sense. So much of money is about psychology. And like you said about proving honestly to ourselves, our own worth. And then especially in the creative industry of like, this is a legit business. I mean, I, I know I feel that way sometimes, you know, there's this number, whatever for you, it sounds like it was seven figures for a lot of people. It's replacing a corporate salary to prove to themselves, to prove to members of their family that it's okay. And it was, it wasn't irresponsible for me to quit my job or for you, you know, going to college and making your own way. That was meaningful. So I think understanding when you talk about the idea of defining enough, it's understanding that you have a vision of success and it's really meaningful and important to define that, whether that's, and I teach to all my students, I have a course called the blueprint model. It's all about building a business plan and the foundation of your business. The very first thing we start with is defining enough and defining success for you. And I, I say there's four core motivators, time, challenge, impact, and creative expression. And it's always interesting for people. Money is actually not a motivator. Like you so eloquently put it, money is a need. We have to make money. We have to pay our bills. But after we cover our need, it's actually no longer a motivator. The other elements are. And so understanding what is the life you want to live? What is the business you want to create? And then how much money does it take to do that? When we know that number, it's like we're chasing after something. Like I mentioned before, like when we just say more is the success measure that becomes exhausting. So I love how you were kind of unpacking. You had these goals, but you weren't quite sure why they mattered to you. It felt important maybe, or it felt like that's when I would be successful. And I think if we take some time to unpack, like, but what do I really want my life to look like? And how can my business support that? That's what I really hope to do each day with my students and my clients is help them create something that when they look back, they're like, I'm really proud of how I spent my time. And 
I know I've lived out my life values. So I hope that answered your question, (laughs) but just really knowing what do you need to live? What do you need for the business to run? Do a quick calculation and we can come up with a number. And that to me is like for this year and this season, that is my enough. That's what I'm chasing after. If we do more than that, fantastic. But I know what I need. Right. I think something that kind of started me thinking on this and it put in perspective for me was maybe it was a podcast. I heard that someone said, instead of thinking about, I want to make a million dollars, think about what do I want to do once I have a million dollars? What are you going to do with that money? And, you know, like I said, after you reach that, um, I can cover my expenses. I have some money in the bank, a little security. It's like, well, you know, honestly, I'm kind of doing what I would do with the money anyway, or I've shared before, and I'm sure you've heard the parable of the fisherman. Mm -hmm. And I just love that, you know, like, what you know, you could build this big company and then what, well, Mm -hmm. I'd still, I'd sit and fish because, (laughs) so I think, you know, I love that story. I do too. I think just, uh, we spend so much time thinking about how can I make this much money, but really the harder question is what do I want? what do I want? Like, you know, and yeah. mon- money is, is not always the vehicle to get you where you want to be. So mm-hmm. that's so good, but we got to talk about money because we got to <laughs> pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about this defining enough. So you actually put a, a number to that, right? Like you mm-hmm, a calculation. So talk, let's talk about that. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to dig into it yet, but I kind of have the five numbers every business owner needs to know. And it's what do you need to make personally? Like how to pay your own bills. What do you need to save for taxes? What does the business need to keep the lights on? And that's those, I kind of reverse engineer those three numbers up to what do you need to sell to make that happen? It's a sales goal. It's understanding what is enough. That's kind of becomes the foundation of your sales goal is is your enough number. It pays your bills. It keeps the lights on the business and it pays your taxes. So that's the fourth number is that sales goal calculation. And then the fifth is just breaking it down. You know, in the photography world, how many clients do you need to take on at what average price point? And that's how you create a revenue plan. Because if you say, Kim, I need to make a million dollars. That's like, oh my goodness, that feels impossible. I I remember when I first started, everybody wanted to make six figures, which is six figures. And that's a big number. You know, I need to take on 25 clients or I had people in the wedding industry taking on 50 plus events a year. I mean, they were burnt out, exhausted. I'm like, well, now we need to talk about your pricing. But, you know, when you know those five numbers, you can understand what you need to make. And if you need to slow down, if you have a maternity leave, or if you want to take a sabbatical, like understanding that enough number, which again, is just the calculation of like, what do you need to make personally? Reverse engineer it up, start there, add in taxes, add in business expenses. And that really is a simple way to get you to what I call your enough number, which is just your sales goal for the year. And so once you have that number in place, then you look at, okay, how many clients would I have to take on? What would I need to be charging on average? If you do these calculations, which is super helpful, and you're like, Shanna, I've got to take on 65 events. <laughs> That's impossible. My goal is to take on 20. All right, great. That gives us some a starting point. We've really got to look at your pricing. How can we make your packages more valuable? How can we change up your booking process? So the perceived value is there. So 
you know, I think numbers tell a story. And when you understand how to read the numbers and my role really is to teach entrepreneurs, I don't believe an entrepreneur needs to be a CFO of their business or the bookkeeper or the financial advisor. But I do believe just like with anything, you have to be equipped to make strategic moves in your business. And that requires understanding a few of the numbers and then empowering people on your team or contractors or hired help to run the numbers day to day. So those are the five numbers I believe we all have to know. And then you can see how like, okay, my sales goal, I know what I need to hit. How can I do that? And how can I do that effectively? How can I do that if I want to take a three-month maternity leave? How can I do that if I want to take, this year I'm taking June and July off to hang out with Madeline. I'm so pumped about it. I was like, okay, that's two less months a year that I'm working. How can I be strategic about that? So that's how I truly do define enough. It's yes, it's this idea of what a success look like, but it is a actual number that I know every single year going into the year, my whole team knows it. Our family knows it. We have to hit this number no matter what. And can there have been years like my first year in business before I officially began? I mean, I was sweeping floors to hit that number. I was doing anything and everything, but I just think there's so much freedom in knowing that I can control those levers. I can control like, I maybe get a part-time job. Like I know the number and that's really freedom for me. Yeah, I can definitely look back and see that, um, you know, at points of burnout, I was not working toward the number. I was just working because I knew I couldn't stop. Yeah. Because I, I was afraid all the pieces were going to mm-hmm. fall and um, I needed you in my life back then. <laughs> oh man, I wish I could do it. You know, it's funny. I always tell people, people reach out to me in two different points in their business. Mostly originally people reached out to me when they were desperate. It was like, I'm, I massively need your help because I always say money isn't likely the reason you went into business. I went into business. Most, most people listening went into business. Like that's geeking out over your profit and loss statement. Isn't really that. I mean, I do. I love geeking out over my profit and loss statement, but that's not why most people go into business, but there is a point in your business, usually about three to five years where it's like, if I don't figure this out, I'm not going to be in business. And that's when I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs at that point, but there's been this slow shift. And I'm really glad that I wish everyone would work with me before they start a business, what I call a dreamer phase, while you're still a dreamer or your first year in business. Because if you lay these foundations, Kim, I'm sure you're like, absolutely. If you know these numbers from the beginning, if you create the sales plan from the beginning, have it every year, gosh, there's just so much freedom in that. And freedom from fear, honestly. I know with a simple calculation, like, okay, how can I make sure I can pay my team, pay our mortgage? (laughs) I know the number. And if I'm not hitting that number, I can get strategic about what to do, or I can add a new offer. I can, you know, we can get quick and nimble and scrappy. We're entrepreneurs. We know how to do that. But if you don't know the number, it's just like, when do you stop, you know? And so thank you for sharing that, Kim. So for you personally, was there a point in your business where you had to pivot or does Shanna Skidmore have, did she have a Mm. burnout moment? (laughs) Girl, yes. Well, I'll say there's two big pivots actually in my business. One was positive and one was positive, but wrapped in like hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The first one was in 2016. So I officially launched my company in 2013. I had been doing it for a full year. So I worked with clients for an entire year, which I 
recommend highly to all of my students and clients, take a year, figure out your offers, like throw spaghetti on the wall, see what sticks, what worked, what didn't figure out your pricing. And then I officially launched in 2013. I knew what my offers were. I would knew what my pricing was. And that first year we did 106,000 in profit. And I say that's truly because I knew what I was doing. It was clear. And when it's clear to you, it's clear to your clients. So anyway, so in 2016, so my third year in business, I was so blessed and grateful that we had so much business coming in that I couldn't do it all. And so Kyle and I, I was like, how do we just like duplicate Shanna? How do we make another Shanna? So I could have gone the agency route and trained more advisors to work with me. So business consultants, personal, we do personal financial advising too. So I could have gone that route, but thankfully I did not because that would not have suited my personality, which I'll get to as to how I learned that later. We decided to sit down with a camera at our kitchen table and record my process. I was like, I am answering the same questions over and over and over again. If I could just record my process, I could offer this to more people at a really accessible price point. And that's how our first program, the Blueprint Model, and our, what I'm known for was born in 2016. And it's a business, basically build a business plan and understanding how to create this enough number of financial forecasting, and I wish every business owner would take it literally before they start. And it's an incredible program. We've had hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of entrepreneurs go through it. So that was the biggest pivot in my business because I went from a service-based model to a digital online course-based model. And it's just been the best blessing for our family and for our students. I love that. So then in 2018, so two years later, so this is my fifth year in business, we did our biggest enrollment ever. I think we enrolled, I mean, we were doing like four, 500, $600,000 launches. And it was just me and a, vert, a part-time virtual assistant. And Kyle, of course, he was still unpaid at that point. So I was like, I need help desperately. I need help. We need to build this company out. And Kim, I hired six full-time employees at the same time. Six. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure, no financial <laughs> pressure. And I'm telling you what, they were the dream team. I love them. Several of them I still talk to almost daily. I love them so much. But I realized the fisherman story came to life for me. You know, I could have limited my number of students and still made the same amount of money. I took on this huge, big expense and I value running a company very lean. And so I got into this place where I felt a lot of pressure financially. I felt a lot of pressure to keep growing our brand. And I just honestly shut down. I just was like, this is not working for me. I feel when I feel pressure I just, it's kind of like when people are tailgating me, I just slowed down. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. like, I can't. And so I true, I really fast just burned out and I just didn't know how to, at that point, reverse course. Like we had grown the business so big What a, and what a blessing. We had all these team members who were incredible at their jobs, but I had built a very owner dependent team. And so I spent most of my time managing the team and I never got to actually do my job. And so at night I was being a business consultant and it just, it just didn't work. And looking back now, there's a lot of lessons I learned from that. I were rebuilding our company very differently, but I didn't know how to stop 
and start over. So I just decided to stop. And so the end of 2018, Kyle came to me. He was working for a, as an aerospace engineer, as a contract engineer. So he had a lot of time and flexibility. And he said, there's a company I want to work for. Uh, It's my dream company. And I said, great. I'll go anywhere but Minnesota. (laughs) And he said, well, it's in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, (laughs) So I've learned to stop saying that. I'll go anywhere. Anyways, he came to me. He got this job offer from this company and we moved to Minnesota. And it became this moment for me of like, this is, I need to shut it all down. I need a break. And so we just decided to shut the business down. I wanted to take a year off. So I took all of 2020 off, which was so such an interesting year to have pre-planned taking the year off. And it was just this really clarifying time for me of what do I want to do and how do I do that in a scalable way that aligns with the life I want to live and the business I want to run and my own personal skill sets. And I'm an actually a pretty introverted person. I get worn out from a ton of conversation. And so just how, how do I build a team in a different way? And so, yeah, I hit burnout. I hit it hard (laughs) and realized that I just wanted to be the fisherman doing my work. I loved it. You know, I'm building this giant. I didn't want to be a manager of people and some people thrive in that. Kyle, my husband is an excellent manager of people, but rent what I teach and last comment here and we'll move on. I believe you can build a million dollar, eight figure, whatever your number is. I I believe I can teach anyone to build a highly profitable business. But what I'm the most concerned about, if I get this wrong, if we get this wrong in the beginning, we will build the wrong company. It's again, going back. I love that you brought up that fisherman story. Like you can build a million dollar business, just you and a bunch of contractors, but you have to know that. Like, what does success look like for you? And for me, I realized I want to build it very lean and just be able to do my work. And so I have to be really strategic about what offers and how I'm building. And and I think it's really cool. You can build a business in a thousand different ways and it needs to be how you want to build a business. I have so much respect for you for just taking that break. I remember watching you and watching you kind of step back and saying you were taking a break. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, she's hit that point, you know, like Mm -hmm. just from my own experience, I kind of felt what you might be going through. And so, you know, I do have so much respect for anyone because you weren't, you were making the money you were, you know, yeah, you were achieving the goal that so many people have. And I kind of equate that my business partner, Josh, I don't know if a lot of people know, but he was actually in a, in a big band and had videos on MTV and has a gold record on his wall. And one day he decided that life wasn't for him anymore. And he walked away and he, said he wanted to join me in my photography business. And I was like, you're going to give that up Hmm. to do wedding photography? What? Like to move to Prattville, Alabama, you know, that was his hometown, but to move home. And, you know, it takes a special kind of person to be living the dream and walk away because it's not your dream anymore, you know? So I respect you a lot for that. Thank you so much. I think that there, I see it a lot in the six to eight year mark. I think it's this place where your business is growing and has grown. You've probably gotten out call it like the artisan stage of business. You've gotten out of, you're still hustling, but you figured some stuff out. You're making money. And that's when I think these, and, 
And I just want to, unfortunately, like sometimes you have to walk the path. I had to walk the path of hiring a big team to realize whoop, wrong path. Right. (laughs) And I don't think there's any, sometimes you just have to do it and learn. But the more we can ask ourselves, is this aligning with the life I want? And the more we ask that, and wow, with Josh, that what an incredible story, because what I think it would be so sad if we look back on our life and say, like, I kept going for what, you know, right. for more money. I mean, again, money is important. Right. Yeah. We had our highest grossing year in both revenue and in profit in 2019, like at the height of our business. I was like, I'll see y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> I'm famous for saying I heard this somewhere, never knowing where that is, but I heard this somewhere. (laughs) I think it was that podcast, how they make this. What's that podcast? You know what I'm talking about? How I built this? Yes, that one. Someone said he was a really wealthy guy. And he said, you know, after a certain level of wealth, the only thing that's different is the kind of vacations you get to take in the hotel room you get to stay in. Like Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I don't care that much about that stuff anyways. (laughs) So back to this money talk. Tell me what are the reoccurring money mistakes that you see as creatives making? Oh, this is a good one. I know we're we're probably all doing (laughs) the same wrong thing. over. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's not just us. It's everybody. So my very first year in business, I was asked to speak at a conference with Joy Thigpen. Maybe you remember Joy. That name? Yep. She was helped co-found once wed, but the publication. And I was so honored to get to speak. I was like, okay, all right. So I started researching why do small businesses fail? Why do businesses fail in general? You know, we've all heard the stats, 85% of small businesses don't make it to five years. And I wanted to know why. And what I found is that most of the reasons are all financial and this emotional pricing, not planning for taxes, spinning our wheels. And that's really became why I do what I do every day. You know, I'm mostly known for finance, but my mission is to help more people do what they love if they want to be entrepreneurs. I am truly a champion for entrepreneurship. If somebody says to me, Shanna, I mean, my dream is to start a restaurant. I'm like, all right, let's make the plan. Um, And that is, I'm just so passionate about that. But my background, of course, is in finance and most businesses fail because of finance. So if I can teach people the key ways to avoid these big money mistakes, then that's going to keep you in business longer. So that's why I focus on money. So what I see right now, and Kim, you'll probably agree with it. I see a lot of people kind of getting caught, maybe focusing on the wrong numbers. I see a lot of people... And, that, and again, I haven't been on Instagram since 2017. So at the time of this recording, that's six years. And, you know, but four was like likes and follows. And now with the world of influencers, you know, building those kind of what I would call vanity metrics. Another number though, that is a vanity metric, like revenue, people would be shocked to hear me say that probably, but the idea of six figures, seven figures, now it's eight figures, um, Revenue is actually just a vanity metric because that doesn't tell us anything. It tells us, okay, you sold eight eight figures of revenue, but but how much money did you actually make? Because I've worked with millionaire businesses, million dollar plus businesses who have zero left over at the end of the day. I don't want that business. You don't want, they didn't want that business. So focusing kind of on the wrong numbers, I think is unfortunately 
especially now in the world of kind of the online course era, those numbers are used a lot as social proof. And so it can be hard to decipher what really matters. Uh, the other one is emotional pricing. So just discounting a lot, not believing in our own worth and that people will pay something. So we, again, give a lot of discounts. Emotional pricing gets people in trouble for sure. That leads to burnout really fast and bitterness. I would say bitterness is a lack of a boundary. So price comparison and price shopping, that's another one I see where, especially new in business, okay, what is what are other people charging? And then I'll just charge that. And we can talk more about that, Kim. Yeah, we talk a ton about that in TMA with new photographers inside of our community. You know, there are the more seasoned photographers that have learned that they have to charge enough to make their business sustainable and not, you know, reach burnout. But when a new photographer comes in, it's like, I could never charge that. No one in my area right. charges that. I have to charge what my neighbor's charging. And so yeah. that was another question that I had for you is just like, there's so much that we discuss around just mindset and money and charging, you know, feeling like you can charge what you need to charge. So if you wouldn't mind speaking to that a little bit. I sat down with a gentleman who recently, maybe within the last five years, sold his company and he sold his company for $700 million. Right. I'm like, whoa. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I was talking about, you know, we were just having coffee and I mentioned the just imposter syndrome. Like I still feel imposter syndrome. I've worked in finance for 15 years. I've been my company for 10, but I still get nervous walking into somebody who's just sold their company for $700 million saying, Hey, I can help you with your money. And he said, Shanna, we all feel imposter syndrome. And I was just like, you just sold your company for $700 million. If he feels imposter syndrome, then we all will forever deal with charging our worth and asking people people to pay something. The reason why is if we're doing something that we're great at, we think it's easy, but the people that is our audience that we're selling this to don't think it's easy. It does. It's not their gift. It's not their skill. And so the, the sooner we can recognize like you are doing something for someone who cannot or doesn't want to do it for themselves, they're willing to pay for that. People are willing to pay for what they want, what they need, that what they want, their hope or a dream. And we've just got to recognize we are the solution to one of those things, a need, a want, a hope, or a dream. So we were at this airplane convention. Y'all know my husband's an aerospace engineer. So he loves going to these airplane conventions and his like aerospace engineer idol, his name is Bert Rutan. He's one of the original aerospace engineers. He created these incredible designs. Anyways, we were listening to him speak on Sage and he said, never sell anything until you know what it costs. And I was like, oh, that mm -hmm. is it. To know, to get over emotional pricing. You know, I think in this industry, especially now when a lot of people are educating, people say, I hear people say a lot, like just charge what you're worth. And I'm like, that's not, what does that even mean? Like, how do I put a number on that? I don't understand. So I don't teach that at all. I teach, understand what your product costs because pricing from there is just a formula. Understand how much time it takes you and understand all the material costs involved. So for photographers, do you shoot film? Do you have an editor? Do you have an assistant, like a second shooter that goes on events with you? What are your travel costs? How much time does it take you? All of that should be understood because from there, pricing is just a formula. 
once you understand the actual price and in your first one to two years in business, start there. That's why you were saying people new in photography, like I could never charge that. And that's right. When you're first starting out, you just need to charge an actual, like what is the product actually worth based on material, based on time, and then increasing it for profit. So I teach all my students, like pricing is a formula. Once you know actual costs and people are paying it, that's where perceived value comes in. That's where charging what you're worth comes in, but that's about perceived value. What does the client think it's worth? And that goes back to the value of your work, how good you're getting at your craft, how great your testimonials are and how good your website is, how good your sales process is. So we can increase perceived value, but that's only comes when, when demand outweighs supply, you know, so that's when you start increasing your prices is when you're booking. So I see people trying to charge so much in the beginning, they're not booking anything. And I'm like, the best way to start booking more clients is to decrease your price and get some clients, get great at your craft. And then you'll really start booking your work. So Kim, I don't know if that's what you teach or if you agree with any of that at all, but oh, absolutely. Saying, okay, good. I would always yeah. just want people to know, like, it's okay to start low. I took on clients for free for a year. I, I did work that, I mean, I'm not saying I took on every client for free for a year. I'm just saying sometimes I took on work because I wanted to try it. I wanted to work with that client. I would say, Hey, I will do this for a trade. I know everyone don't trade anymore. I'm like I did. And I would get great testimonials. I have some of my biggest, a few of my biggest name clients who've brought in the most clients and students for me. I worked for them for free for their testimonial. Like I just, I just have these thoughts like, and again, when you know how much you need to make, you have the freedom to do that. I have a, a, a guy that I met who's a photographer. He does college photography. He was on the, he was on my podcast a few weeks ago. And he said for every one college photography shoot he takes on, he does almost equal for free. And that's a part of his business model. He has a very generosity is a big part of his business model. And he is like the number one college photographer in the country, you know? So it's just a, I got off on a tangent there, but I just always want to tell people pricing is about first cost, understanding your cost, making a profitable price. And as you get better and really good at, at your craft, it will naturally start going up. Your price will naturally start going up. So going back to the question, Kim, about big money mistakes, pricing is one of them. The other one though is diversifying too quickly. And this is another big mistake that I see where people try to add too many services too fast, or they want to get into education or create a passive income product. And, and I just wish people, more people would just get great at your craft first, because then the opportunities will come. So soapbox it over. No, great <laughs> advice. Great advice. And that's absolutely what we do teach is just to know your cost of doing business and, you know, charge that at least, and then move from there and absolutely do free work. We'd rather you do free work than yeah. do cheap work. Oh, so. that's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shanna. Shanna will be back next week to finish off the two-part episode we're calling Defining Enough. Shanna had too much amazing information for us to cram into one episode. So be sure to join us again next Tuesday right here for the final part of my chat with Shanna. Until next week, head over to the Motherhood Anthology community on Facebook and join. There you'll find a free, warm, and welcoming group of motherhood photography business owners 
In that group, you can ask any and all questions and pick the brains of other business owners. We'd love to have you there. So today, instead of leaving you with my usual quote, I wanted to share the parable of the Mexican fisherman and the American investment banker that we spoke of. An American investment banker was taking a much needed vacation in a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. The boat had several large fresh fish in it. The investment banker was impressed by the quality of the fish and asked the Mexican fisherman how long did it take to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The banker then asked, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican fisherman replied that he had enough to support his family's needs. Then the American asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman replied, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take a siesta with my wife, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life, senor. The investment banker scoffed. I'm an Ivy League MBA and I can help you. You could spend more time fishing and with the proceeds buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats until eventually you would have a whole fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to the middleman, you could sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You could control the product, processing, and distribution. Then he added, of course you'd need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City where you'd run your own growing enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but senor, how long will this all take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then, asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you could announce an IPO and you could sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You could make millions. Millions, senor? Then what? To which the investment banker replied, then you would retire. You could move to a small coastal village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take a siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evening where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. So from Ireland to yours, until next time, friends. <music>